Hi, and welcome to Security Explained. I'm Chris Grayson. I'm Drew Porter. And I'm Logan Lamb. We're coming to you every two weeks with tips and tricks on how to protect yourself and your loved ones out there on the internet and in real life. In today's episode, we will be talking about core security concepts. Whenever we're thinking about security, there are a handful of foundational principles or elements that we lean on to inform our opinions. These core concepts are in some cases capabilities, in others hard limitations, and taken together they represent the truths that we must design for when looking to protect ourselves and others. Today we're going to be covering a handful of these concepts, specifically around identity, access, and some fundamental flaws of human nature. With these foundations in mind, you'll be better suited to consider your own security. To start us off, we'll cover two concepts everyone listening is likely very familiar with, but not by these terms. Chris, what is authentication and authorization? Yeah, so um, basically these foundational principles that we kind of rely upon for pretty much everything else in security. And, And we already talked about one of them a little bit in our podcast on passwords, but starting with authentication, uh, authentication is the idea of like, who is this party? Uh, and that might be you as an individual, that might be uh, a device like your phone or your laptop. Uh, but just generally speaking, the idea of authentication is, well, if we want to start layering security onto something, the first thing we need to do is have a strong assertion about identity. So authentication specifically addresses the concept of who are you? And the follow-on to that, and one that is commonly confused with that term, is authorization. And authorization is, okay, now that I know who you are, what are you permitted to do? Um, so, you know, if it's if it's my phone that is authenticated to some service that I use, uh, then that service knows, oh, this is Chris's phone. This is Chris's account. Chris has the ability to access his own data or this other data in a specific way. But uh, the, the distinction between these is authentication is... Who are you? And authorization is what are you allowed to do? And and you know it's it's fairly self evident as to why these are core security foundations because I, you know I would challenge you to say like if you're trying to secure something and I say well you don't get to know who's accessing it and you don't get to know what they're supposed to be able to do then how are you actually going to be able to secure that system? And there's lots of problems with these like especially considering that. They are such like core foundational elements. They are commonly the part that is going to get attacked because if you can, if you can get into a system via somebody else's identity, or you can trick a system into thinking that you have more uh, permissions than you're supposed to, then you can really erode uh, the the security of that system that you're get, getting access to. And some some kind of one one common way that authentication and authorization can uh, can basically not perform to the to the extent that they would like to is sharing of credentials. Um, I'm sure you guys have never shared a password before. Drew, I'm sure you didn't share a password with either of us when we first started recording this podcast. No, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard not to, right? Like it, it it's it's a necessary evil in a lot of cases, especially in, in like circumstances where you need to get that, something done quickly. Um, but another thing that is probably less uh, less thought about, less well understood is that um, basically if if you give somebody permission to do something, that's only half the battle. Like what if they're only supposed to be able to do that thing for a period of time? 
right? Like, uh, and Drew's going to talk about it in, in a little bit. But, uh, you know, if you've ever been put on a project at work, or you've been put in a position that it's only going to be temporary, and you're given access specifically for that temporary period, the likelihood that that access is going to be revoked afterwards uh, tends to not be 100%. So, um, you know, a, another common flaw with authorization systems is that once somebody is given access to something or some entity is given access to something, the likelihood that that access is going to be pulled afterwards, not so high. Okay. So after authenticating someone, we need to authorize what they can do, right? Yeah. Yeah. Drew, can you tell us how we go about deciding what an individual is authorized to do? Yes. So what we have there is called the principle of least privileged. And the simplest way to describe that is allowing a person to only do what they or limiting them to what they're required uh, and give them access to allow them to do only what they need to do and no more and no less. So if I need to, you know, click a red button, then my permission should just be to click a red button. The blue button and the pink button, I don't need to be able to click at all. So the person that handles those roles should only give me access to look at pressing that red button. And this allows us to really clamp down on if my credentials get compromised. When we've kind of talked about credentials being compromised in the last episode. But if my credentials get compromised, then the person who compromises my credentials will only be able to press the red button. Even if they wanted to go and press the blue button, they wouldn't be able to do that. And, and for our listeners, uh, that was actually Drew's first position out of college was a, a button presser. And he got in trouble for, for pushing the pink button, I think. Yeah. Yeah. M- many times. Many times. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't help myself. Uh, they didn't have the privileged, uh, uh, principle of least privilege employed there. But with that, if we want to take this into a more real world like concept, a lot of employees have a badge that they use to gain access into the building and the particular areas they're interested in or the particular areas that their employer is interested in them going to to perform their work duties. They should only have access to those particular areas. They shouldn't have access to other areas. So if I'm in R&D, I should have access to the R&D lab. I do not need access to the um, executive area. I do not need access to marketing and billing. I don't need access to any of those items. So my badge should not work when I'm trying to get into marketing and billing. My badge should work when I'm trying to get into research and development floors. And this really is um, an issue when it comes to individuals who require a lot of access. Chris will get into the erosion of this. But If we look at this in the digital world, taking away from the physical world, we have shared folders, such as a shared folder at your office that you have access to for work, or even more simply, a Google Doc. If you're sharing documents between individuals or teams that are using, uh, you know, the Google suite and they use Google Docs, that particular document or that folder is going to be shared with the individuals who need access to it. And then the particular documents inside it will then be finally uh, looked at and gone through and said, hey, Chris only needs access to these three documents. Drew needs access to these other three documents. Um, 
and they only overlap at one document. So, you know, I have two documents that I can see that Chris can't see, and Chris has two documents that he can see that I can't see. And this really allows teams to control that leak of information. Again, we want to minimize that blast radius when something gets compromised. Because as we've said before, it's not if something is going to get compromised, it's when something is going to get compromised. But going towards that, uh, this erosion of that principle of least privilege is really a problem in the security world. And I think Chris can hit on that a little bit more. Yeah. And so, so one thing I want to actually two things I want to draw. No, one thing I want to draw attention to real quick is that like these fundamental principles that we're talking about, they seem really obvious. And in a lot of cases, they are really obvious, right? Like you need identity. You need to know what that identity is supposed to be able to do. You want to make sure that they can't do more than the like bare minimum. There are bare minimum that they need to do their job. But like, despite the fact that these are deceptively simple, they really are the points of failure that result in something that might have been a small compromise or a small bit of exploitation turning into something that is actually like business impacting or like uh, impacting your life. Um, so, so specifically to the principle of least privilege, you know, what I was saying before around how um, once access is granted to something, revoking that access becomes such a problem. So I can, I can. Give an example of, uh, you know, in some of the positions that I've been in professionally, designing these access control systems, uh, or when there's some other party that is designing these access control systems and they, they reach out asking for security guidance, um, one of the main things that I like to draw attention to is like, okay, cool, this looks like it's going to work. Great. You're going to give the right permissions to the right people. Uh, how are you going to get take those permissions back? Um, so do you have a system to actually... Uh, only provide access for a period of time because if so, that's going to make the system much stronger in the in the long haul. So that's actually one of the things that I recommend people design into their systems is uh, like let's say that you have an access control system that is going to grant access to various like business entities uh, to a particular party. You should have a revocation timestamp on that to be like yes, this access is only granted for a month and a half. And then the access is going to be revoked. And you're going to find that, like, because if you don't have that, what happens is people just accrue or people or things accrue access to other things over time. And that access doesn't get revoked. So if you've worked in a place for, you know, the number of times that I've done an engagement where it's like, oh, there's somebody that works in IT that literally has administrative access to every single thing, despite the fact that they're like basically support desk level of uh, level of sensitivity of, of position. You know, it it happens all the time. So while the while the principle of least privilege is deceptively simple and straightforward, the fact of the matter is, like actually adhering to it is not just a one and done thing. Is not just a I'm going to put a little bit of effort into it and we're going to achieve this. It is a like you have to be consistently putting effort towards maintaining that uh, basically that that threshold of like people only have access to what they're supposed to have access to and nothing more. And and you know Drew, you touched on the touched on the Google Doc side of this. Um, as another aside to our listeners, if you work in an enterprise uh, that makes heavy use of something like Google Docs or Office three sixty five or any sort of online document sharing platform, I highly recommend that if you haven't, do an audit of who has access to what. I think you will be shocked 
uh, of, of who has access to what. You know, I've seen examples where it's like, oh, it turns out that the legal team has all of their documents for all of their ongoing legal proceedings in a Google Drive folder and everybody has access to it. And you're going to find stuff like that, but it's going to be shocking and it's not great to see. But I'll tell you what's even worse is if you don't find that and then something bad happens. So one other one other thing I want to draw attention to is, um, and when we talk about the kind of the economics of security in a little bit, uh, the reasoning behind it will become a bit more obvious. Um, but there are also cases where pretty much in every business, there is a party that is going to have far more sensitive access than like whether it's their pay grade, whether it's the, their seniority, um, whether it's their utility to the business. Like that position by definition is going to have exorbitantly sensitive access um, when like it, it's just kind of it, it, it doesn't line up exactly with the amount of kind of seniority that they have. So for instance... An executive assistant will typically have full access to the inbox and like potentially bank of executives. And so this is somebody that um, is typically fulfilling the role of like, like, you know, a secretarial role that's if they get compromised, that actually kind of cascades into a full compromise of the executive that they're, that they're fulfilling that role for. Um, another, another kind of example in the physical world would be uh, maintenance and like housekeeping folks in these business offices. If you've ever seen that they have keys on a key ring and it seems to be that they can use the same key to open every single door. Um, well, it turns out that those doors are, are what we call mastered. And uh, that key actually opens every single door in the facility, despite the fact that the, you know, the business function that they are providing is probably far less sensitive than the actual work that is being conducted in those offices. So, you know, it's one thing to say like, oh, we're adhering to the principle. You, you can even be adhering to the principle of least privilege in these cases. And still you have people that are uh, in positions where they have incredibly sensitive access in comparison to the business function that they're performing. That's interesting. Um, okay. So assuming we're authenticating and authorizing everyone perfectly according to the principle of least privilege. Um, Drew, is that enough? Are we done here? I wish we could say that we're done. Um, but then at the same time, if it was the fact that we were done, we're not going to have any jobs, right? So another item that we have or another inherent weakness coming into this is going to be humans. Humans are the weakest link when it comes to every security system, bar none. Um, and this is because we want to believe other people are good. And that's because other people are generally good. So this kind of tints our vision of how we interact with others. If we see someone at a campus that we're working at, right? Let's say we're working at a large campus. We don't know everyone who's going to be at that campus. But if someone has a smile and they look happy and they seem to fit the standard type of person who would be working there, a lot of times what we'll have is other people being willing to help them, opening up doors for them if it looks like they are... Uh, you know, burdened with a lot of items or even opening up doors to them when it looks like they uh, forgot their badge or can't get access to a particular area. And what if they're pregnant? Yes. Well, and, and that's the other thing. <laughs> there have been scenarios where I've had friends, um, one particular friend who would um, 
pretend that she's pregnant. So she has like a whole pregnancy suit that she puts on. And with that, people become extremely helpful to her. And this allows her to get into many, many restricted areas that she should have zero access to get into. But that's her job, right? So this suit that she wears, it's actually a pregnancy belly. Uh, and the look that she has, she has maternity clothes on, fits all the stereotypes. And we're like, oh, a pregnant lady is not going to be a big threat. And then it turns out to be like, no, she is definitely one of your biggest threats. Uh, <laughs> Which is not saying that you shouldn't trust people that are pregnant. I'm just saying they might not always yeah. be pregnant. At least when it, I wear the suit, it doesn't it doesn't work out. That it, work. It, it is OK to tell someone that you can't let them in. And if you do have to do that, don't make it so that it's on you. Say it's company policy, right? So this takes away from you being the bad person and puts it on the company which is very easy for employees to do. And that's what they should do. And companies, if they don't have that policy, should teach that to their employees. Like, this is company policy. If someone says you're being rude, then no, you just say, this is company policy. Blame the company 100% of the time. Yeah. It's not you being rude. It's the company being rude. And people are more willing to do the, hey, I'm not going to let you in part if they have someone else to blame. And a company is you know a faceless entity for most so it's very easy to blame them and it allows people to have that really that that power inside to say yes i'm not going to let you in and i've had to do it a few times i've had people i didn't know who they were at a company i worked at and they said like you know the typical do you know who i am and i said to them yeah you're the person that's going to show me their badge words (laughs) 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 and um it went well. You know, they, they got angry. They, they actually sure. were a, a executive for the company. I didn't know who they were. I was new to the company. And uh, they talked to my boss. And my boss is like, yeah, this is what he does. Like, you can't get angry at the guy stopping you <laughs> or what he does. <laughs> so with this, you know, the, these security controls that we have in place, unless they get defeated by a human, they're there to provide particular access for an individual. And they're really there to prevent unattended access. Generally speaking, though, finding a method of unattended access, such as a bypass through a a security, you know, appliance or firewall or even a bypass through an alarm system or a physical access control system is going to be more expensive than just going through that, uh, you know, that doorway with a badge or going through um, getting access into the network through a VPN. And a lot of times... I want to take a second to kind of highlight or kind of add some additional color to what you're saying there. Um, Is that like, look, all of these security systems are built in such a way that they are supposed to make it easy for the right person to get in and hard for the wrong person to get in. And, And to give an example, like, let's say that... I'm on an engagement, you know, I'm doing a, I'm doing a penetration test and I found a way to get around some specific system. Um, well, like once you have kind of deviated from the authorized path, right? Like, let's, it, like if I'm an employee, I'm supposed to be doing X, Y, Z. I have access to these systems. I have a particular like p- process flow that I go through. If I have found a way to compromise one of those systems, that's only one of them. That doesn't give me access to everything else. It's like I found one hole into one part of what I'm trying to achieve. 
Uh, I now have to, because I don't have credentialed access, because I don't have authorized access, all I've done is kind of found something kind of piecemeal. So the, uh, the more attractive route more often than not is, well, I just want to make it look like I am the right person. I'm going to compromise that person's credentials. Yeah. And a lot of times the high security clients that we're dealing with, uh, they'll ask like, oh, how are you going to get in if we're doing like a physical entry, right? They're going to say, you know, are you going to crawl through uh, air ducts or are you going to do? And and if you meet me in person, you will see I'm not the person <laughs> that's going to be crawling through air ducts. It's got to be industrial um, size air ducts. <laughs> and, and I tell them like, oh, I'm just going to go through the front door, like as it's intended to be used. Uh, and then they ask you like, oh, how, how would a state actor get in? And I was like, well, they'd probably get hired as a consultant trying to break into your place or even better, they'll get hired as an employee because then you'll give them credentials to get into the building and credentials to get onto the network and you'll even give them a laptop and they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is, it is the best deal. Uh, so now look at all your coworkers and try to figure out what ones are state actors. Uh, don't actually, don't actually do that. (laughs) That's going to cause a lot of company policy. I need, to, I need to see password company policy. <laughs> um, they'll have fake passwords too. Yeah, um, actually, actually, that will be real passports. But that's a whole nother discussion about how that works out. Uh, so, but I want you to. I mean, a, a very simple concept, kind of laid out into this, is looking at like a, a safe, right? Um, a, a safe has a right way to get into it. You can type in a code if it's electronic, or or spin the dials to get access to it. Or if it's a jeweler safe and you want to get access to it um, without having the correct combination, you're going to have to spend a lot of time with a you know plasma cutter or uh, you know thermite uh, that might damage the stuff inside of it. So I wouldn't personally recommend that. They actually have jeweler safe drills, which are drills that you weld onto the side of them, and it takes 30 minutes for it to cut out a. 12 inch circle from it and it is uh i mean we're talking extremely loud and heavy equipment that is going to be like obvious that there was made a way in so instead of just doing all that why don't you just try to guess the person's credentials right or guess the person's combination yeah because combinations tend to uh tend to be not very predictive yeah yeah. yeah, it's birth dates. Uh, I mean, think think about just any particular set of two numbers that can be put together in three rows, right? So you have two numbers, two numbers, two numbers. And a lot of times what you'll have is you'll have birth dates, you'll have wedding anniversaries, you'll have uh, sometimes I've seen phone numbers. And these are very easy ways to uh, gain access. And you can gain this information by just talking to the person. And then figuring out what type of person they are. Hopefully, they're not the type of person that allows them to uh, or or has made the mistakes of putting a birthday or a particular date or like their zip code as the dial combination for their safe. But humans are the weakest link in this whole equation, right? We could have everything done correctly. Uh, principles of least privilege. We can have correct uh, authentication and authorization. But the humans will always find a way to make it so others can get around that. Defaulting to trusting unknown parties is very dangerous. 
And though it might seem like you're being helpful, you're not being helpful in the grand scheme of things. And people are really, uh, they have a shell up for some of the items that they don't understand. They might have had a hard time getting in through a door. And they're like, well, yeah, I totally hate this. This door is, is you know, kaput and we still have it here and they haven't fixed it. So, of course, I'm going to help this person who's on the other side of the door get in because I've been in that same situation, right? And this really proves that it doesn't really matter how good your technical security controls are. If your people will let attackers into those authorized areas, then you're really at a disadvantage. And that takes a lot of work to fix the human element of it. And we don't want to just rely on the human element. We always want to pair it with technology. Yeah, that the the human element part is like, I really did not fully appreciate just how significant this was until I started doing this sort of work professionally. And like social engineering engagements that we went on, where it's like, there's no way that we're going to get in with this. And then it's like, oh, we got everything. We got everything in like one day and we have another like two weeks on this. Like, well, well, what do we do the rest of the time? Um, but what you what you said, uh, the, the content of what you were just saying reminded me of um, two separate things. Uh, so I'm, I'm playing through a game right now called The Last of Us 2, which is fantastic. Highly, highly recommend it. But uh, the the anniversary as a like the date of like year, month, day. Being a code for a being a code for a safe is such a trope that it's even in that game. So, and sorry for the spoilers, but uh, there's one particular safe in this room where there's a calendar on the wall and there's a date circled and it's like 30th anniversary. And I was like, where the hell is the code for this thing? And then I see the calendar and I was like, oh, 30th anniversary. Let me try the dates uh, of, of them getting together. Yep, sure enough, I'll mock the safe. Um, and then the other thing uh, about, about humans just kind of being susceptible to, to easy manipulation is I remember... A few years ago, there was a uh, uh, like a thing that was making the rounds on social media, which was like, "Oh, what's your royal name?" and and all of my like parents' friends were getting in on this, and it was like, "Oh, to calculate your royal name, it's the name of your dog, uh, and you're like the Duchess of uh, Oh no no, it was like it's your." made a name and that makes you the duchess of your dog's name uh, of the street that you grew up on. So all of these people that probably don't have this in because, you know, that they're in their 50s, 60s, uh, probably don't have this information readily available online in comparison to like our generation are saying like, yeah, here's my dog's name. Here's my maiden name. And here's the street that I grew up on, which is like, if you ever think about security questions that enable you to get access to somebody's account, those are like some of the top most ones that are used and hard to <laughs> hard to get good answers to. Oh, man, you guys are painting a pretty dire picture here. <laughs> uh, if, if you haven't picked up on that, yeah, it's, it's something we do. <laughs> yeah, uh, we should probably do an online um, thing like that where you can... You know, pick your stormtrooper number by the last four digits of your social. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It'll be at securitiesexplained.fm slash give us your give us your personal information. Oh God. Please don't. <laughs> oh. All right. So <laughs> given people are the weakest link and we're building these systems for people generally, like how do we manage to secure these our services 
and we can't remove the weakest link. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, you know, harping back on or touching back on what we were just talking about, how like, you know, you can either try bypassing a system and then you have unauthorized access. You know, you've found a circumvention towards the, uh, of the, of the intended process. Um, or you can go for authorized access. And if you have authorized access, things tend to get out of your way, right? Like if I actually am able to prove that I am who I say I am, I really don't want to have to keep doing that. I really don't want to keep getting hassled uh, in order to continue doing my job or, or working with whatever I'm doing. You know, it doesn't have to be just my job. And so another kind of key security concept is this struggle between security and usability, right? So uh, the the extremes here are uh, the most usable system in the world has zero security control. So you don't have to type in a password. There's no firewalls. There's like, it's just super usable. Access is complete. Like there's, there's nothing stopping you. It's the most usable system in the world. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, is the most secure system in a world, which the trope is, well, we take a computer and case it in concrete and and throw it into the ocean. And like, I'll tell you what, the likelihood that anybody's going to ever compromise any files in that system is pretty low. Uh, but the likelihood that anybody's ever going to be able to use it again is equally low. And so you have this constant tension between security and usability. And so the sweet spot is going to be a security control that maximizes improvement to security and minimizes impact on usability. Uh, one of the example that I always go to with this um, is a service called Duo. And um, so the way that Duo works, if you haven't used it before, like let's say that uh, the company that you work for has Duo enabled on all of your corporate accounts. Well, when you go to log into your laptop, or you go to log into your email, or you go to log into any one of those systems, um, like for the first time of the day, or, or maybe more often than that, depends depends on how it's configured, but you're going to type your password in, and then it's going to send you a Duo push notification. And then I have an app on my phone where I have to open my phone and press a button, and then I am successfully authenticated. So I can't just know the password. I have to also have my phone and press this button, and then I get access. and while it is a pain when it doesn't work, it's a really reliable service. I'm not a shill for Duo. I do really like the technology. I think it, it, like, as somebody that has been professionally contracted to break into systems, when I see Duo, it actually makes things much, much harder to get into in a lot of cases. Um, but the, it, it's a great, it, it makes it so much harder to break into systems that are protected by this technology. And the impact usability is like, oh, I have to pick up my phone and press a button. And so barely hinders usability, maximal return on security. And that is really what's hitting the sweet spot. So, you know, there's plenty of other security controls that are like, oh, well, we're going to make it, you know, in order for you to actually get access to the system, you got to type in this code and scan your retinas and do this and do that. And it's like, that's cool. Uh, but you know what's cooler? If I don't have to do all that and I still get that security upside. Because if you do, and we've actually seen this before, if you start designing security controls that actually put significant hindrance on your valid users, you're going to find that your valid users are going to start finding bypasses for it. Uh, so the people that you're actually trying to protect are actively undermining the security that you're trying to grant them. So it's always 
it's always a give and take. Um, and you're going to have to find a way to strike a balance because if you don't, you're actually going to be at a worse place than if you just left kind of lesser security controls in place. Hey, Chris, funny story. So um, one of our colleagues on a recent engagement, um, he was doing some um, OAuth proxying and it was protected by Duo. You know how he was able to defeat it? No. Uh, he kept sending the push notification maybe a dozen yep. times until the person finally just ticked it because they were annoyed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> brutal. Yeah. Again, humans, weakest link. I swear, we're terrible at this. I, so I have <laughs> we another... We are terrible. <laughs> I, have another, I have another example. Um, so it was a social engineering engagement. And um, so I uh, did a phishing campaign, ended up getting a bunch of corporate credentials from it, uh, and then found the company VPN website. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to use these corporate credentials to sign into their VPN and then gain access to their internal assets. And so I type in the credentials into the VPN, and then I'm prompted with Duo. And I was just like, oh, man, like that sucks. This is going to... Now, now this is going to get a lot harder. But they didn't have Duo as a requirement to gain access to their Office 365. So I'm sitting in the... Uh, I'm basically looking at emails uh, of some of the folks that I've compromised. And I'm finding out that like, oh, this attack has been detected. And now they're going to the mitigation phase. And so I can actually see that like, oh, this particular party is presently in communication with the security team at this company. And uh, and they're trying to resolve this. And I was like, you know what? I bet that this person will probably fall for a duo push because they're currently interacting with the security team. So sure enough, sign into their account, press the like, send duo push notification. And then I was let in immediately. I was like, oh. Man, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. 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 But like, this is, this is the... <sighs> More often than not, like, this is the way that... This is the easiest way in. Oh, man. So, okay, if we don't care about the sweet spot and excluding the concrete encased computer at the bottom of the sea, can we make a perfectly secure system? Uh, well, I can't. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I can't, I can't either. Yeah, yeah. No, and it's, it's a, um, I feel like it's a, it's a question that we commonly get as folks that work in this industry is like, ah. Oh, is there an unhackable system? It's like, no, not that I know of. Um, maybe in movies, but uh, but the really the right way to think about these things is like it's a game of economics. And a uh, oh man, a previous colleague of mine in all of his engineering design docs, the first thing that he would open with was always a quote from Sun Tzu. <laughs> and then he would talk about how like like the economics of what we're trying to do. And so so you think about it this way. There is stuff that you have access to that has value. It might be you work in like a medical R&D facility. So your intellectual property is super, uh, super valuable. It might be your personal stuff where it's like, oh, you have access to a bank account and emails. Um, you might have access to like information about investments and stuff that is not like material, non-public information. There is stuff that you have access to that has value in it. Now, there's no such thing as a perfect system. 
There, there's no such thing as perfect security. There's nothing that is unhackable. So what that means is somebody has to invest an amount of resources to gain access to those things that you have access to. And so when you think about this in terms of economics, there's a certain amount of value in what you have access to. There's a certain amount of resources that it'll cost to compromise you. What you should be designing for is making it so that there's no real return on investment. Um, you know, if I have access to stuff that is worth a ton of money and somebody only has to invest a small amount of money to compromise those, then that's very attractive. Like I've got a big target on my back then. Like that, that's an investment that if you're like a criminal, that makes sense to do. Now, if I have access to really valuable information, but it costs more than that information is worth to actually compromise it, then that's a bad investment. Like unless you're, unless you're just dealing with folks that are doing it for the lulls or like doing like vandalism, then like real, the, the real threats, the real like online organized criminals, uh, you know, they, there's so many bigger fish to fry than that. Like they want to go after the stuff that is going to give them a good return on investment. So, so instead of asking the question of like, is there a perfect system? Is there a perfect security? Is there a way to make an unhackable system? The best way to make something unhackable is to make it unattractive from a standpoint of it's just going to cost more than it's worth to gain access to this. Going with with perfect security, right? Following this, you know, this reality of economics that if there is something that is there that someone wants, they will get in. We want to limit that as much as possible, as Chris was saying, right? This return on investment on attacks. And what this really allows us to do is see, is, is limit who it is who wants to get in. One really clear example of this, actually, there's tons of clear examples of this, but one is how one large security company was compromised to then compromise another company. And this was in 2011, I believe, RSA was compromised. And RSA was compromised so that a company called Lockheed Martin, which if you don't know, is a very large defense contractor here in the US, could get compromised. So this attacker the value of what Lockheed Martin had was so great that they spent an obscene amount of money going, attacking a security company to then attack another company. And most people, luckily, they're not in that situation where their content or, or their IP is so valuable that a company will do that. But it just shows you that the hacktivists or the organized crime, they may not be the ones who are wanting in, but no matter what your security state is, if a state actor wants in, they're going to get in. And it was believed, uh, if I recall, that it was a state actor that did do this compromise. It's the delta, and this is what we have to explain a lot of times to our clients, the delta between the value of your information or your IP or whatever you're protecting versus the cost of security. And we always talk about this with a client, one of my taglines. And if you're one of my competitors, you can now start using this because it works really well. Is, uh, you know, yes, we're very expensive. We cost a lot less than a breach, though. 
And it really shows it shows that there's this delta of how much money you want to put into security versus what your expected level of security is. Now, there are some places where we tell clients and my salespeople, you know, they they understand the, the whole role now. But in the beginning, when they're new, they are like, oh, you just talked us out of a whole bunch of money. <laughs> we have clients that are like, oh, we want to do this. And I'm like, oh, that's not going to really like improve your security posture as much as XYZ would in your organization. Uh, because the amount of money that you're going to spend into this, you're going to spend, you know, a few thousand into this, and it's going to 10x your security posture, or you can spend hundreds of thousands into this, and it's going to, you know, give you a 2x um, on that um, uh, return. And a lot of times what we run into is companies not understanding that delta. And it doesn't just translate to companies, right? It translates to individuals on a personal level as well. They're looking at, you know, securing their homes. And we'll have another episode about home security systems and and those type of items. But they look at it and they see, you know, oh, I can spend $1,000 on a really good front lock. And it's just like, right, you could do that. That is correct. You don't need to do that because I can show you something that's going to give you more security for your house that's going to cost you $27 instead of spending $1,000. So that delta is the hard part. And it's really the part I believe in security we need to get better at describing and explaining to non-security individuals. Yeah. And the and when we were talking about this right before we started, started the recording, you mentioned how um, while basically RSA, so, so Lockheed Martin... They made use of these RSA uh, hardware tokens as part of their login process. And so a state, like a believed to be state actor, went after RSA, compromised those tokens so that they could then use those to log into Lockheed Martin systems. When we were talking about this, you were saying that like that actually, um, because Lockheed was ascribing to another one of the things that we talked about, that compromise did not have as significant of an impact um, as it could have. Yeah, again, going back to this principle of least privilege, that's what Lockheed Martin, it was a combination of that and active security monitoring to where they were able to determine, hey, this person is doing things they shouldn't be doing. Um, They're accessing or they're attempting to access areas they shouldn't have access to on the network drives. And that's what really set off the flags and allow Lockheed Martin to stop this attack dead in its tracks. And so now we're talking about probably millions of dollars that was spent by a state actor, which in the grand scheme of themes is like pennies to, you know, governments because they just print the money that they want. Uh, but millions of dollars is still a significant investment for a operation. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a life changing amount for, you know, most people. Right. And uh, but millions of dollars to lose that in an operation is going to really hinder not just the future operations, but motivation and the the pep of the team. But outside of that, um, Lockheed Martin claimed, and I don't have any inside knowledge on this, so I, I can't you know v- validate these claims, but they claimed that no true sensitive information was leaked in this attack. And this is, again, because they were very, very active in 2011. And now... Uh, working with 
these core principles that we're talking about, building on top of these core items. So these aren't just for normal day people. I mean, these core principles transcend from your everyday life to also, you know, large multi-billion dollar corporations. In summary, the three takeaways for today's episode are, one, there's no such thing as perfect security. Two, security is about trade-offs, one of which is security versus usability. And three, humans are almost always the weakest link. As much as we'd like to say otherwise, there's no such thing as an unhackable system or perfect security. We can have strong guarantees around identity and privileges, but even those privileges will typically erode over time. In the miraculous case where they don't, the human elements of those secure systems will fail before their tech counterparts. Once authorized access is gained, then even good security controls by design will let that party in with relative ease. At the end of the day, the best thing you can do is ensure that the things you consider most valuable will be proportionally difficult to compromise. Good security relies on a solid understanding of the limitations and capabilities of people and the systems they use. And now hopefully you are in a better position to think about the assets you're responsible for and the ways in which you can protect them. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Explained. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. We're always looking for new topics that our audience finds interesting, and you might be able to pick our next show. Feel free to reach out via social media or rate our podcast on your listening platform to let us know how we're doing. You can find us on the web at securityexplained.fm or on Twitter at SecExplained. Thanks again, and until next time, stay safe.